Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Takes a shot, runs into the box, shot, score! It's time for Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Tune in as Jason Longshore gives you insight and analysis on the beautiful game, including headlines from around the world of soccer. Rebound, goal! This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight, brought to you by Moe's Southwest Grill. Welcome to Moe's, and brought to you by your local Ford dealer. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight, live on 92.9, The Game, and the Odyssey app. A little bit of pre-pre-game coverage of the sport before Atlanta United gets back into action tonight in MLS play in Seattle. I'm Jason Longshore. I am in Seattle. Jessica Charman not in Seattle, back in the Atlanta area. And we've got to put a bow on the Women's World Cup. That's what this AST special is going to be all about. If you have not seen it very early this morning, Spain won their first Women's World Cup 1-0 over the lionesses of england jess have you recovered yeah you know what jason i absolutely have it's funny i was a little bit nervous after the game thinking about having to come on and do this show bringing back some memories of four years ago after the semi-final but Mm -hmm. i actually feel differently in this one because after the semi-final four years ago i felt very hard done by for england to lose in that one i felt like they had outplayed the us and i felt like they deserved a better result in this one I think the better team won. And as much as it pains me to say that, and as much in football sometimes that isn't the case and you're not able to be the best team, but you still come out victorious. England didn't. They had their moments. They didn't take advantage of it. And I think Spain were very classy in their performance. They they bunkered down. They had some good tactics in their awareness of where England were going to be weak, and they exploited it. Yeah, we talked about it after the game. And... You know, I agree this is very different than the semifinal loss for England against the U.S. in 2019. I was right there with you. I thought England outplayed the U.S. in that, and the U.S. was very fortunate to get through it and then get to the final and beat the Netherlands. This match, and and honestly, this tournament outside of the loss to Japan, I think Spain has been the best team, and I thought they were the best team today. Not by a huge wide margin, but I thought they were the best team. The talent on display from the Spanish team, the defending U-17 World Cup champions, the defending U-20 World Cup champions, and now the defending senior World Cup champions. team is deep, and the team is talented. They have a very strong identity in the way that they play, and they executed the game plan today to perfection. England had some chances, but not as many as maybe they would have been accustomed to. It was really difficult in the first half to watch the way Spain just dominated possession. There were moments where England had 20% of the ball, 20% was contested, and Spain had dominated 60% of the ball. They were tiring out England. They were moving the ball beautifully, as you expect to see from a Spanish side, and they were creating opportunities. I will say that I think England had a big miss right before Spain were able to get that go-ahead goal or on hemp with a great effort, but it struck the crossbar. And honestly, in that moment, I I just felt like maybe this wasn't going to be the day when you have those big moments in matches where you expect them to go in and they hit the crossbar or you look at a player like Alessia Russo, who's been so good in this tournament and she couldn't settle the ball. Her first touch in this game, it felt like she was under pressure, knew that Spain were going to dispossess and I think an area that Spain that won't be talked about enough really dominated and won this game was in their second balls. They recovered the ball so much quicker, which meant that England, who were 
very good in this tournament at getting on to second balls and making things happen from leftovers, weren't able to utilize that as a way to be successful in the match. Yeah, your final numbers in this one, Spain had 57% of the possession. That's a little low for them. It definitely flipped in the second half. Spain outshot England 13-8, to shots on target 5-3. to This was that, that performance from Spain that maybe we were wondering if they could control a game this way against a top opponent because – you know, you go back through this tournament, and they won their first two games, looked incredible in doing it. Then they were blown out by Japan, and everybody started to lean away from Spain as being one of the favorites. Maybe Japan was that team. Spain had to fight through two games that were very tight to get to this point, and they didn't have to fight to come back in anything today. They were able to control this game in a way that I don't think we had seen maybe ever from Spain against a top opponent, the defending European champions, England. No, they just looked so confident. They came into this one looking like they felt they were favorite in it, looking like they had identified where England were going to have weaknesses and looking to exploit it. You see it with the goal. The game plan was there immediately. They knew the moment they dispossessed Lucy Bronze going on a... Uh, nosebleeding winding inside run out of position like she does and it has its risks it has its rewards unfortunately today the risk was huge they knew exactly where they were going to pinpoint with that mm -hmm. dispossessed they were going to go into the space and in behind and they executed it perfectly they had done their research on the opposition i think some of it helped that obviously bronze plays in spain so a lot of her teammates were familiar with where she was going to want to go and unfortunately once they got that goal spain were very comfortable defending and I'm not one to criticize Serena Weidman, but I wanted to get your takes on it, Jason. The subs felt a little bit strange, a little bit early, maybe, considering, yes, Rousseau had had a weak, you know, first half. But when you've had a player that's been dangerous and her chemistry with hemp, it felt a little early to pull that trigger and remove her from the action. Yeah, it felt like maybe Serena Weidman second-guessed her decision not to start Lauren James, who was eligible for this match for the first time in a while after the red card and follow-up suspension. I thought it was the right call not to start James. I thought the front three, you wanted to keep rolling with that front three that had looked good in the knockout rounds in James's absence. But when you keep give up that goal and you get into these moments, and in this tournament, and this is something that I've seen a lot in the press from the Netherlands side of things, because remember, Vigman took the Dutch to the final in 2019. They've watched her in this tournament, and they've felt like she's made more big changes in this tournament than they ever saw when she was in charge of the Dutch women's national team. She pretty much created her team, her setup. They played. They did that rinse-repeat. For England, she's made some Big changes, going from four in the back to, to three in the back with the wingbacks. Things like that. Some big lineup changes. And maybe at halftime, down 1-0 and not seeing the ball, I don't want to say she panicked. That's not the right way to put it. But maybe it was a little bit of a reactionary move to bring on two subs at that break and shift into a four-woman back line. And listen, I thought... James made a difference coming on in terms of she drew Spanish players to her. The minute James mm -hmm. had the ball, three Spaniards would surround her, which created space for other players. James also had the biggest save that she had to pull out out of the goalkeeper. It was a great effort at the near post that the goalkeeper makes a fantastic save on. So she did make a difference, but she also looked like a player that hadn't played competitive minutes in the tournament for two matches back to back. She wasn't quite as sharp. She wasn't quite as lively. As you say, a little bit reactionary, perhaps. And, you know, you go back and you look at these moments and then to wait all that time to bring on Bethany England yes. at the end as well. The huge gap between making changes. It's a rare moment where you're like, oh, did we manage this one as well as we could have? Did we leave something on the table? And perhaps I thought the penalty save from Herbs, which was brilliant was going to be the momentum shift and was going to see the comeback come in i was feeling fairly good about the 2-1 prediction i made and <laughs> it, it didn't turn out to be that way because it never felt like england were able to get into that second third fourth gear after that save that should have been a bigger turning point for me in the match
Yeah, it, it's weird. After the move, going from the original setup of a, a 3 4 1 2, I mean, you can call it a 5 3 2, whatever, 3 5 2, whatever you want to call it, three center backs, shifting to a line of four. So taking away a center back, trying to maybe readdress the balance of the team. The second half, England had more of the possession. They had 51% of it. But the shots were 8-5 Spain, and the shots on target, the one you mentioned from James, that was the only shot on target from England in the second half. When they were chasing the game, it felt like the change in system maybe balanced the game out a little bit, but didn't give England an advantage. And here was the thing. In the first half where England was having success was those long balls for the pace mismatches. We've seen the strength and the determination of Hemp, of Rousseau against Australia. Look at the different goals they scored with their connection, with their ability to run through the lines, with their ability to be physical and pain, you know, on slower back lines. And I think they had an opportunity where they could have exploited space in and behind the centre-backs for Spain. We saw it almost happen in the first half, and it looked like they gave up on an op option that may have been successful a little bit too quickly in this match. So let's talk about the left side for Spain. You mentioned it when Lucy Bronze went on that dribbling run and got into the center circle and was dispossessed. Spain knew exactly where they wanted to go. This is match preparation. This is scouting reports. This is also just reacting to what happens in the game. The, the right wing back at that time, Bronze, has come into the middle. That position is gone. Bronze was slow to recover. I don't know if she gets there ultimately, but the team was slow to adapt as well, and it's the perfect overlapping run from the left back, Olga Carmona. Good ball from Caldente as well to lay it off, holding it long enough, drawing the defender, playing it to Carmona. Great shot from Carmona. But that's attacking a weakness that materializes in the game. I don't know if that was the match plan is when Bronze gets out of position, immediately play to that space. But they recognized it in that moment and immediately attacked the open space on the field to perfection. Felt very deliberate. Felt very well known. Like we say, Lucy Bronze plays in Barcelona. She's a very free-flowing player. She's known for these winding runs and sometimes they work brilliantly. She gets involved on the attacking side of the ball. She's an exciting player to watch, but these moments can cause costly and it did that. And for me watching the lack of recovery almost showed that there wasn't the same sense of urgency, which whether indirectly or directly flooded into the rest of the team that didn't have that same burst of pace to get in to recover. It's a great strike. You can't take away from Carmona's strike, strikes it through three defenders I think that got in and behind Ups, you know is full stretch and isn't able to save it but you have to be able to prevent that speed of transition from an English perspective when Spain were able to dispossess Lucy Bronze in that center circle it's a lot of ground still to cover even you know if they have that ability to switch the play quickly. Carmona the match winning goal here the match winning goal in the semi-final as well an incredible tournament from a left back attacking. And if you haven't seen the story afterwards, she found out after she had won the, the match, won the World Cup, did all the media afterwards, she found out that her father passed away before the game. Just heartbreaking to hear that from such a, an incredible player. And obviously our, our thoughts go out to Olga and her family having to deal with that after the biggest high as a professional you can imagine. I, I can't imagine that feeling. No, and honestly, it puts a lot of things in perspective, right? I was feeling sorry for myself that England lost. And then in a moment like that, you realize a lot of things are far bigger than football. And she's gone out on social media and said very clearly that, you know, she found out this news, but her dad was the star watching and helping her in these moments, yet she didn't know it. And I think what made it even more touching was her celebration. I know the T-shirt became very viral mm -hmm. on social media, was an homage to her friend's parent that passed away and now she's in a similar boat so a lot of tragedy but um you know we're we're thinking of her but i think that she can take a lot of solace in the fact that there's no doubt her family's extremely proud of you know how she performed on the pitch we have to talk about the golden ball winner Aitana Bonmati, the midfielder who was just exquisite in this game and how often do we talk about midfielders not getting enough love for what they do in that part of the field? Not the 10, 
Bonmati, 42 of 44 passes completed, 74 touches, 23 of 25 in the final third. She won possession back nine times, six of seven on the dribble, won both of her tackle attempts, two interceptions, created two chances. She did everything in this match. She's been doing it throughout the tournament. Uh, Pep compared her to Iniesta, which is about as high praise as you could ever get. Just an unbelievable tournament from her, let alone the game today, let alone the 90 minutes today. An incredible tournament from Bonmati. Yeah, she's the engine of this Spanish side. You can tell she dictates the tempo, and she was so problematic for England. They couldn't dispossess her when she had the ball. She moved the ball, but she was just the controlling force, always so calm, always such a great presence. And I think she's just a such a quality player that offers that stability to Spain and allows her other players to be free-flowing because they feel so confident when they pass the ball to her. She's going to be able to serve it. And she also does a lot of the dirty work, too. It's the perfect combination of a creative player, but also a workhorse. And, you know, I think that when you talk about that comparison to Iniesta, like you say, it doesn't get much more superlative than that. And she absolutely lived up to that comparison on the field today. In the next segment, we'll get into a little bit of the legacy for these teams. And I think there's interesting stories to tell about what happens next for Spain, what happens next for England. We're going to get into the legacy of this tournament as well. Record numbers of TV viewers in Australia. Sounds like there's going to be a record amount of investment in women's sport, not even just soccer, in Australia as a result of what the Matildas did. There's going to be a legacy for the U.S. women's national team as well. There's going to be a new manager, uh, a new general manager, or that role's going to get kind of changed up by the U.S. Soccer Federation. I think there's a lot of things that are going to come out of this tournament, and that's really what we want to get into next. And if you guys have any questions about that legacy of this tournament, tweet them at us at Longshoe at Jess Talks Footy at 929 The Game. We've got Atlanta United coming up, top of the hour, five stripes countdown, kickoff for Atlanta United will be at 1039. But more Atlanta soccer tonight coming up after the break, digging into the legacy of this Women's World Cup that Spain has now won for the first time. We'll be right back after this on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When it comes to the world of soccer, we've got you covered. This is Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Welcome back, an intercontinental version of Atlanta soccer tonight, breaking down everything from the Women's World Cup that finished up this morning in Australia, Spain. First title ever, first final. They get it done over England 1-0 this morning. I'm Jason Longshore. You're going to hear more of me this evening on 92.9 The Game with the Five Stripes countdown starting at 10 and kickoff between Atlanta United and the Seattle Sounders at 10.39 p.m. I've got Jessica Charman riding shotgun with me on AST tonight. And, Jess, we're going to get into the legacy of this tournament in this segment. And we've got to start with Spain. And we were talking about it in the break. And, look, we've been talking about this throughout the tournament. 
there is a cloud around the Spanish women's national team because of things that have happened in the past and maybe a few extra things that happened today after they won. We'll get, we'll get into all that. You have to be really careful, though, in leading with that, in my opinion, because I feel like it diminishes the accomplishment of these players and this team as an entire group. And yes, Jorge Vilda is part of it. He was the manager. Whatever happened in the past and whatever changed or adapted or didn't in this tournament, this team was the best team, and now they are the world champions. What has to happen next in your mind for a team that has won both of the Youth World Cups, now the Senior World Cup? It's really good on the field, but obviously there's some issues off the field that the Spanish Federation has to sort out. Yeah, firstly, I want to emphasize and reiterate what you're saying, Jason. Jorge Vilda shouldn't be trending on social media. That shouldn't be the talking point, right? It should be how well the players did coming out, the way they performed, the way they dominated in all but one game in this tournament, their style, their control, their identity, and the fact that Spanish soccer is clearly developing, cultivating incredible talents. When you have the U17 and the U20 World Cup championships under your belt and the mainstream championship it feels like spain is about to be a dominant force from an extremely long time in terms of their talent pool and the fact that they have you know any older players have replacements lining up behind them that are the best in the world and have that experience but that being said cohesiveness on and off the field is really important believing in yourself and feeling like you have a federation that backs and believes in you is extremely important and Uh, Things have clearly changed because you saw in some of the interactions afterwards with the coach that there seems to be more of a community aspect, more of a respect aspect. We did see Vilda getting thrown up in the air, which is, you know, seemed to be a quite harmonious moment. But that being said, there were players that weren't selected for this tournament that a lot of Spanish players and Spanish media have come out and said deserve to be there. So a bit of a dark cloud hanging over it on the off the field matters. But I think you like the biggest focus has to be on how Spain performed, how they won this tournament, and how those players that were selected to the World Cup have made history. And if they can fix the things off the field, then I think Spain is going to make themselves a a force to be reckoned with for many, many years to come. Because you've got, as we say, U17, U20, and World Championships under your belt. That is a scary, scary prospect for everyone in the world of women's soccer to be looking at now. Yeah, I think people in the industry who were openly rooting for Spain to fail because of whatever, it's not fair. And I think people jump to conclusions based off incomplete stories. And we don't know. And the only people who know exactly what has been done, what has changed, what hasn't changed, what was handled in terms of players coming back into the team or not being invited back, or like you said, the youth national team's they're pretty good. It's kind of hard for everybody to keep their spot year after year after year with this team right now. We don't know. Nobody does. The players do. And it's their story to tell at this point. And it's just a situation where I think we've seen this in other cases. And to me, this is one of the biggest legacies coming out of this tournament. The idea of what this game on the women's side can be going forward in every country, not just certain countries that it's normal for women to play sports in certain countries where it's normal to invest in in women playing sports. We've seen that in the U.S. for, for decades. Not every country, that's the case. I think that has really started to change in this last World Cup cycle. And this tournament, to me, is going to be the one that kicks that door down. And partially because Spain won, because that is a country that had not invested in the women's game up until very recently. Colombia's success, Jamaica's success, Haiti's success, South Africa's success. So many different countries where the women's programs are very new, maybe don't get enough resources that they should get. Those conversations all have to change now based off the success of this tournament, on the field and also off the field this is a business and a thriving one right now that everybody involved in should be looking to grow in every part of the world yeah and it's not just conversations from federations conversations from players it's conversations from the media as well i'll 
you know, 100%. hang my hat out there and say, listen, I was worried about the expansion of the tournament. I was a little naive, worried about how some of the smaller nations were going to cope, how some of the nations that maybe haven't had their local roots teams be emphasized in the media as much. Maybe I turned a blind eye to the development that was going on overseas. And this was an amazing wake up call for pundits, a wake up call for fans of women's soccer that the rest of the world is investing and as they see the rewards of their investment as their teams compete with the quote unquote best of the best it's only going to get that ball rolling and rolling and rolling in a huge motion and it's so exciting to see the fruits of the labor early on and just goes to show that you know when players are given an opportunity to play when they're given an opportunity to develop, when they're given an opportunity to train as professional football players, it doesn't matter where they're from in the world, they can be talented and they can understand and have the soccer IQ. And I think the level of the tournament in terms of what we saw on the field product, it's just so incredible, the growth and the jumps that this sport has made. And the entertainment value was higher than we've ever seen and as competitive as we've ever seen and I think that's one of the reasons why the numbers are soaring and how refreshing to have conversations with people that maybe never cared about women's football previously because now they are invested in watching this product because of the fact it's so much more accessible now. And we've, we've got to see the next progression, in my opinion, be the conversations that, that we have. And look, maybe in the United States, this needs to happen on the men's and the women's game. The conversations about the tactical side of the game, about identities, about how teams play rather than just personalities, the kind of Olympic kind of coverage that we've seen in the past where it's about the individuals, the individual stories. We hear about it every four years, and then we lose track of where they are in the meantime. That's not the case anymore. So many of these players are playing in leagues that, yeah, you might have to subscribe to a streaming service. You might not to be able to watch, but th it's accessible. You can watch the, the Serie A Femenile in Italy. You can watch the Spanish League. You can watch the Women's Super League. And I think England is a prime example of how that legacy from investing in the game has paid off. I mean, you can speak to it from your time being in clubs to where it is now. It is a fully professional pursuit for not just a handful of players, but for a whole lot of players, and there's more coming. Yeah, it's so exciting to see what's happening in England with how being a professional soccer player is truly an attainable thing now for the girls that are coming up in the academies. With us back ten, just 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago, I moved to the States because realistically, there are only very few professional clubs, and when you say professional, it just means you make a little bit of money. It wasn't right. actually a career. Semi-pro. Professional players were still having coaching jobs, were still, you know, uh, doing extra things. Like I played with Fran Kirby. Obviously, she wasn't able to make the World Cup but uh, due to injury, but Fran had to coach as well as being a quote-unquote professional soccer player. It was wild. Now that's not the case. Now players focus on being professionals. They see it as an attainable thing from a young age, and the academy system on the women's side mirrors the men's side, and we see the success that that creates in cultivating the next generation of players, getting players tactically aware from a young age, getting players fit from a young age, getting players on the same page from a young age, and building those relationships. I will say, though, I was having a conversation with my dad, and the one thing that worries me about this moment is this felt like England's best opportunity to win a World Cup because they did have that head start. The Women's mm -hmm. Super League has been improving for a long time and they were one of the first teams since the US to make that big jump. Now we've seen the jumps that everyone else is making next four years. It's going to be a lot harder because I think all these teams that have made little stepping stones are now ready to make that leap that we saw in England and how quickly they're going to be able to thrive and get to the next level of this sport. The jumps are coming faster now. You know, in the early days of the Women's World Cup, the first one was in 1991. It was the U.S., it was China, it was Norway, the Scandinavian nations, Germany. They invested in women's sports early on and those were the teams that were the powerhouses at that point we've seen japan's development and, and from a technical perspective the the japanese players are, are just incredible to watch they're right there with spain in terms of technique we've seen the spanish team i mean when you know about the game and know how spain feels the game in general and you see this spanish team play 
you don't have to see the crest to know that they're Spanish. Like, you know that. England has developed that, and there's more players coming through because they're getting more access to professional development. When we get to the U.S. and, and what the legacy of this tournament will be, I don't really know yet. And, and I think it's a really important question because you don't have the talent base in the U.S. right now. And this is crazy to say because even four years ago, this was just a – you put me in a straitjacket after saying this. Spain has a better player pool. England has a player better has a better player pool. I think Japan has a better player pool right now. Um, beyond that, Colum- maybe it's Columbia a little bit of a toss-up. there now. It sounds yeah. silly, but look at the U17 World yeah. Cup. There's a reason Colombia were the U17 World Cup runners-up. They only lost 1-0 to Spain. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... I love the college game, but there has to be a way to have the college game and a professional pathway to keep players domestic, potentially. Or if they don't want to stay domestic, we've got to see more big, young players make the move overseas before they turn 22, before they're drafted. Or to the NWSL. Oh, and the NWSL, yep. look, they did it with, with Trinity Rodman, and, and that was, Alyssa you know, a little... Thompson is happening yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Trinity was a little bit due to COVID. You know, she was going to go to Washington State, and that year got wiped out, so she went pro for the 21 season. It needs to be, you know, just like we talked about in England, now there's that professional pathway, and you go through an academy, and, and you have that opportunity to make a living and, and play professional soccer. That needs to be an option for those incredibly talented young women here in the United States. The NWSL is going to have to lead that challenge because if you look in England, you look in Japan, you look in Spain, and those are the three that I keep coming back to. It's the professional game that is driving the growth. Look at Sweden. Look at Norway. Scandinavia has always been a place. We see plenty of the college players or, you know, the different collegiate players or WSL players make that jump as well because maybe they're not going to be noticed by NWSL, but they have an opportunity to go over to Scandinavia as well. It's a worrying time for the U.S., and I'm not trying to be dramatic. But no, I, I fully agree You with have you. to be worried because, again, you go back to these Youth World Cups, and it's not necessarily a be-all or end-all, but it is an important way to see how your young players are preparing and getting used to big tournament experiences. And when you look at the finishing, there's a really good tweet that I liked earlier today. When you're finishing fourth, when you're not qualifying, when you're not getting out of the group stages, when you're not being competitive in those youth tournaments, you're worried about the next generation of players, particularly when you're looking around this World Cup squad and you're looking at the players that are retiring. You're looking at Juliet. Who's replacing Juliet? I mean, I mean... You know, these are huge question marks over where the U.S. is going to go. And yes, there's some exciting young players. We're excited about Robin. We're excited about Sophia Smith. But two players isn't going to make a World Cup winning squad in four years' time. So I am worried about the U.S. on a tactical standpoint because it's always felt quite one-dimensional. On a developmental standpoint because... NWSL needs to grow and it needs to grow in the way it develops young players, pay to play model, all of these things. You know, it's a very worrying sign because I think the U.S. missed its time to make a jump as well. It kind of got a little bit complacent with its positioning in the world of women's soccer. And now you have to catch up. And I think the NWSL has to be the driving factor. This can't come from the Federation. It's got to come from the NWSL. We've seen the rise of the U.S. men's national team because of homegrown talents coming through MLS clubs. And some of them go to Europe very early. Some of them stay in MLS and play and develop and then get that opportunity. The NWSL has to create a homegrown player system. They have to incentivize clubs to develop academy players and give them pro opportunities. There's absolutely a place for the college game. Not every player is on the same route. There's a place for it. It's a very important thing. It needs to be year-round, and that's something that's been talked about. D1 soccer needs to be a year-round thing, not cramming 20 games into 10 weeks. There are things that need to be done. The U.S. Soccer Federation's got to be the ones who maybe set the tone of it, but the NWSL really has to lead it. And look, there's going to be a USL Super League, and the W League is growing. It sounds like the WPSL is going to create a pro division as well. They've teased that. There's a lot of good things happening, but it feels a little scattered at the moment. This is where the Federation really has to step in and say, look, if we're going to host in 27, and that sounds like a strong possibility, the U.S. needs work to be a favorite 
in 2027. They are not there right now. It's going to be fascinating to see over the next four years. Coming up next, we've got the 3-4-3 Women's World Cup edition. Jess has got some picks. I've got some picks. We will deliver those to you right after the break on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Back to more of Atlanta Soccer Tonight with Jason Longshore. On Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Atlanta soccer tonight, putting a bow on the Women's World Cup. Spain are your champions. They are dominating all aspects of the women's game right now. As you know, on AST, we finish with the 3-4-3. We've changed up the topics of the 3-4-3 to match the tournament, and this will lead you into the Five Stripes countdown, Atlanta United, Seattle Sounders. That's at the bottom of the hour, and then kickoff at 10:39 as we get back into MLS play. But before we do that, I'm Jason Longshore, Jessica Charman, riding shotgun today. Let's get into this 3-4-3, Jess. I wanted to start with three teams that have improved their stock the most. Now, we have not compared notes, so we might overlap here a little bit. That's okay. We might be able to think on our feet. I'll start with Haiti. And I think the CONCACAF teams, you know, coming into this, we expected Canada to be a, a team that would make a deep run. They did not. It was some of the other CONCACAF teams that surprised us. And Haiti is one, and we we know about the issues that they've had in terms of resources. Haiti is one to watch with their development. So many talented players, a few are starting to go play in Europe. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg for Haiti, and they are definitely going to be one to watch in 27. Who is your country to watch? I'm going to go with Colombia, and I say that because they pushed England all the way to the line. They have mm -hmm. so many exciting young players. When you've got the likes of Caicedo, who obviously became a household name in this World Cup, but also Guzman, a player that was yes. extremely young, amazing service, tough as nails, a little bit crazy, but wonderful <laughs> in that way. And now we're seeing, as we've said so much on this show, how important it is to invest in your home soccer your domestic leagues and colombia is doing that they have the backing of a fan base and it's getting normalized in colombia for girls to be playing soccer they have a bright future ahead of them i'm going to stick with Concacaf with the third jamaica the the reggae girls and you know these are, are all three countries and, and colombia is that step ahead in terms of investment in terms of the clubs buying in but Jamaica is another one that has Bunny Shaw playing at the top levels of the game, a player that we've seen in Soleil Washington. Only at 17, she will be playing at the top levels of the game. I'm fascinated to see if she goes to Duke as she's committed to the Blue Devils right now or if she has an opportunity to go pro earlier than that. This is a Jamaican team that was one of the best defensive teams in the tournament and feels like one that can make that jump to be – a thorn in the side of the United States in CONCACAF. I think in, like, in terms of the Gold Cup, the Women's Gold Cup is going to be really competitive 
in this next edition with Jamaica, with Haiti. Canada will be there. Costa Rica, the U.S., Mexico, who didn't get to this tournament. Mm -hmm. And that's another one who has invested. It's going to start to be very competitive and not an easy walkthrough for the U.S. anymore. On the four of the 3-4-3, three, three, we're going to talk about some players that stood out to us. We've talked about some already, but Jess, who is another one that jumped out to you in this tournament? Alex Greenwood for England, which wasn't a player I thought I was going to have to bring up. I was really worried. We talked very much about England's back line and how they were going to survive without Leah Williamson, and she was still a huge loss, but I think Alex Greenwood was an unsung hero for this English side and contributed a lot to the defensive stability of England. You saw a move that personified her in today's final, gets her head absolutely cut open in a challenge, comes back sporting the headband, wanting to fight for her team. I think she has been a quality player and actually has created some question marks now over, you know, she wasn't always starting for England, but I think she's made herself undroppable in this lineup. I'm going to go with Lindsay Horan uh, as one that maybe didn't get enough credit. And, and look, it's hard when it's a disappointing run for the U.S. Four games. They didn't lose in, in regulation or an extra time. They only won one of those, though. Horan with two of the goals, and we know goals were, were difficult to come by. Uh, she created chances. She won her challenges. She was great defensively in that midfield. That's a player who went to the professional side very early, and I feel like she has a very different game than some of the rest of her teammates with the U.S. Women's National Team, and it stood out to me more than ever in this tournament. I thought Lindsey Horan was outstanding, best 11 of the tournament kind of level. Sometimes it's tough for players who only get four games to get that acclaim, but I thought her play deserved it. Who's next for you? Uh, it's, you know... She, she only won the golden ball, but I think you have to talk about Bon Matis. You don't, you don't talk about best players in the tournament without talking about her and just the biggest, you know, calming presence and an absolute talisman for this Spanish side. I don't think there's many superlatives on the way she controls a game, on the way that she dominates the tempo. And there's a lot of talk over Ballon d'Or already. And I can't help but think it's nodding in her direction with the way this tournament went, particularly with lifting the trophy at the end of the tournament. I'm going to go with, with one more that I felt like maybe w was overlooked, and maybe it's because of the, the tournament not going quite as far as the Dutch maybe intended. Lika Martins, who is a player who has played at Barcelona with a number of these Spanish national team players, I think she was in a little bit different role in this tournament without Vivian Miedema and having that presence. The Dutch needed more from Martins, who I think is a really good number two in a lot of ways she's won a, a ballon d'or but i think she's best as a a like a, a combo with someone but she stepped up and i thought really dominated games at times for the netherlands she had a goal she had two assists they were right there with spain i mean that game really could have gone either way and i don't think the dutch get anywhere near where they did without the performances from Alika Martins, one of the best players in the world. Now, we've got a lot of time to get into this last one. As you know, on the AST, we try to end on a, a positive note. So three things that made us smile throughout this tournament, stories that, that will, will stick with us for a while. Jess, what's your first? The last day of the group stages in the group with Morocco. And being yes. in my car to Charlotte and following them simultaneously and seeing the Moroccan team surrounding an iPhone in the middle of the field, waiting to see when the result was confirmed and seeing Morocco get through. That was just the most incredible moment. That match day was absolutely insane. And I think that goes hand in hand with the fact that you saw teams huge teams upset and I don't want to sound like a horrible person because it didn't make me smile that Brazil Canada and <laughs> Germany got knocked out but it made me smile that we were seeing the next sort of wave of teams get their moment in the limelight and I thought that there was no greater upset than Morocco making it out of the group stage and that was just a miraculous moment watching them receive that news in that special way. Yeah, there were there were multiple times in this tournament watching those kinds of games, and that was that was one of them for me. That 
it literally brings tears to your eyes to see yeah. that reaction. Um, that's what I love about the emotions in this sport. And I think in this tournament, in the past, maybe we didn't get those kinds of games that just drain you emotionally and just in, in good ways break you emotionally. We don't get those until later in, in previous editions of the Women's World Cup. We got them in those last group stage games in this one. There was a lot to play for, a lot of jeopardy for big teams, and it's because of the growth of the game. A team that we've talked about, and this was, was my moment that really I'll probably always remember about this tournament, is the late winner for Colombia against mm -hmm. Germany. The the Manuela Vanegas goal in the 97th minute after a penalty in the 89th minute. And, and how many times have we seen the underdog team play so well, then get equalized late in a game, and they just they can't handle that. They don't come back. It finishes as a draw, or they concede again and they lose. We've seen that story so many times. But for Columbia to go and find that super late winner, that moment is – it's one of those that, I mean, I hope it has the same effect as, like, Landon Donovan's goal against Algeria that is just historical. And I think it could be – for Venegas and for Las Cafeteras. Yeah, I think it is. We've already seen so many videos of reactions in Colombia, people watching it in their household, seeing those moments stand out. And it was just the celebration. You saw what it meant to this side. But I think it's funny because in Colombia, talking to people that lived there, there was such a belief they were going to make a run in this tournament. And I kind of fed off that in my predictions when I said I thought they were going to get out of the group. I thought they were going to win their first group stage match because there was this air of confidence surrounding the players and they almost had a bit of a swagger about them where even though they were ranked 25th in the world, they went in and believed they could beat Germany. And sometimes when you have that level of belief and you don't go in fearing an opponent, it's successful. And that's something that made me happy how small nations didn't show fear in this tournament. It didn't matter where they were ranked. They believed they belong on the field like they should and it was displayed in the way they played. To see Morocco, Colombia both get out of Group H, to see South Africa on the last day get the win that they need to get out of Group G, Jamaica coming in second in Group F, and Brazil going home in that one. Just those kinds of stories. Uh, the hosts as well, and New Zealand didn't have a great tournament, but they were in it till the last round. They won their first game, couldn't build on that. Australia had an amazing run. That's another one that is going to change the way this game plays out worldwide what's the third one for you in terms of moments in this tournament that made you smile big moments from goalkeepers in general i look at <laughs> oh i should have known come on how could i not but you look at the performance of muzovic that puts out a really lovely tweet about mary Earps being awarded the golden glove and i think that had england not made the final it probably would have been the swedish goalkeeper that got the nod for the golden glove because she's been exceptional in this tournament as well but the penalty save from Mary Earps today, her reaction, the close-up of her saying some words that I shall <laughs> not say on the radio because no, I don't. do not want to get in trouble. But moments of personality from goalkeepers and the level of goalkeeping overall improving so much in this tournament. And it's because we now have professional goalkeeper coaches at all levels. We now have goalkeepers that are given the tools to succeed and thrive. I look at Vietnam's goalkeeper saving a penalty against Alex Morgan. Goalkeeping has improved so much in this tournament and we're seeing, you know, the level of the game as general and the respect in the game in general being boosted because of that. Yeah, got to give credit to the Spanish goalkeeper as well, Catalina Cole. Like, Ooh. she was not expected to be playing in this tournament. It was a move that you know, was a, a little bit of a shock after the group stage. She got the start against Switzerland, and she made some serious plays to help Spain win this tournament in the win over the Dutch, in the win over Sweden, and today against England. Yeah, I mean, to be able to take your opportunity and grasp it with two hands when you're not preparing to be a starter shows another level of just preparedness and belief in your own ability and I thought she was brilliant today she was organized her positioning was great and the Lauren James save was a game-changing save because if you don't make that and England equalize I think the momentum swings in the favor of li the Lionesses 
And here's one of the reasons I truly believe that the scorelines haven't been as drastic because the teams have a more elite goalkeeper behind them now in these tournaments because goalkeeping isn't just a position that's kind of filled by whoever will take it now. It's a position that is truly respected on the women's game and they are investing in the tools to help goalkeepers thrive all over the world. I'm glad you mentioned the personalities too. And that, that's something I, I kind of want to end with, uh, with a, a final thought from me before I get yours. You know, it's, I mentioned it earlier. I feel like in the past, the Women's World Cup was a, a tournament that you would be introduced to some new players that you might have liked the way that they played. You might have liked the way they fit into their team. And you then might not hear about them until that team plays in a She Believes Cup or maybe the Olympics. But you don't follow them at the club level. And it felt like an Olympic athlete in like track or figure skating where it's only the world championships or that big event. In this case, I feel like you had such big personalities come through that you're going to want to pay attention to what happens next with them. And I think it's going to demand your attention worldwide. Barcelona, great club team, many others around the world. So many of these players, I think they've hooked a new generation of fans on following them in the women's game. What's your biggest takeaway from the tournament as we wrap up here in just a few seconds? Just watching 75,000 people in a stadium appreciate the beautiful game. Boys, girls, men, women coming together to support it, seeing it as football, caring about it, supporting their nations. You know, watching back home, people rallying around the lionesses and not have as much of those stupid, ignorant comments about, oh, but it's only women's football. It truly feels like we're getting to the stage now where people are watching because they want to support their country at this sport. It doesn't matter if it's the men or the women's team, they're respecting it at its level. And that is the ultimate sign of growth of the game. I just can't, I'm sad that it's over, Jason. Truly I am, because it's been amazing, but I'm so excited to see what's next. The legacy of this tournament needs to be one of action moving forward. But I think the potential is so there to see an even bigger jump on the women's game. It's been an amazing tournament, Jess. Thank you so much for spending time with me on AST. Next time we chat on AST, we'll get caught up on what you're doing up in Charlotte. Coming up next on 92.9 The Game, it's Atlanta United back into MLS action. Five Stripes Countdown coming up right after this on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 